Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Twig 26 or 27, depending on how do you take the last one. Um, the full crew is back. Uh, we are here and we're just talking about, about GDC. We're a week removed. So a lot of a lot of fun stuff. Thank you for all who came into our mixer with Iron Source, and thank you for everybody who came to our dinner with Universal or NBC. Uh, which way do you say, JK? Uh, NBC Universal. Uh, both, both NBC and Universal, <laughs> and, and and with NBC Universal and App Annie. So uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff, and thank you for everybody who came to our talk uh, that we did with Adam Telfer. Um, and again, uh, yeah, packed room. Uh, packed dinner, uh, pretty packed uh, mixer. So a lot, a lot of cool stuff. And we were just talking about um, about Eric getting some fan love during the uh, during the PDC. <laughs> oh, it was uh, it was surreal, but uh, it was a great dinner. Um, and you know, shout out to the guy at Scopely who was really f- good fun to hang out with. Small giant guy was really interesting. So you do you, um, you mean uh, Henry Lowenfels, who's uh, who's an avid yeah, listener Lowenfels, of this right. podcast, and, then, and he is a yeah. great guy, and and Tim, yeah, like, he is a good guy. guy. He's, uh, yeah, he's heading. Um, heading and that. then Graham Games, I got to talk to the PM from Graham Games, which was really interesting. So lots of lots of cool, interesting people at that dinner. Well done, yeah. JK. Well done, JK. Uh, it, it was barely me, but yeah, I, I enjoyed the vet quite quite a lot too. Yeah, you should you should take all the credit. Now <laughs> it was all me. So, so let's not go in reminiscing too much of DDC, and we'll talk about some of the trends later. Uh, the topics that we have today, we have five different topics, so we need to rush rush through these. So we're going to start off by talking about Google Stadia's backlash. Uh, then we're going to move on to the seven trends in mobile gaming from GDC 2019. Uh, then we're going to talk about Tim Sweeney announcing 100 million Epic Mega Grant, uh, a fund for game developer. Number four is nothing more, nothing less than Apple Ar- Arcade. Um, so talking about Apple's new premium subscription service, and we're going to end it with the first look of Harry Potter's Wizard Unite. This might be too many topics. If we leave one out, we'll leave one out. So you'll get it on next week. So JK or Eric, who wants to kick it off? I think I'm going to start here with the uh, the backlash from Google Stadia. Um, first off, if you guys want to do more of a deep dive into what my thoughts are on Stadia, please look at the Netflix of Gaming podcast. I think it's Twig17 because mm. I'm not going to rehash all of that. But um, I thought the actual article was really good in terms of kind of outlining the issues that people see. Um, and quickly, you know, the article basically said something along the lines of, first of all, people are a little bit concerned about the fact that Google is coming into the space. Um, you know, there's many times in which Google has abandoned projects uh, like Allo Messaging. Um, Google Plus has been now abandoned. And then, you know, there are missteps with Google Fiber. So that was the first concern. Second concern is this notion that, you know, if you buy it today with a subscription, you don't really own anything. And therefore, if they decide to bump, you know, bump up prices, then you're hosed. Um, that's always kind of a concern with a lot of the software as a service these days. So that's kind of been echoed in other places as well. And then the other part is game preservation stuff, which I think is kind of nonsensical, but that's me. Um, and then the other thing is that, uh, you know, the connection speed, you know, consistent 25 megabits of connections are going to be a really tough target to hit in most parts of the world, um, any parts of the U.S. for that matter. Um, so that's a concern uh, the article talks about. And finally, um, 
as I've said many times, attracting the core gamer is going to be a huge challenge, right? You know, they, first of all, need to convince these gamers that the technology will work and that'll, you know, not drop frames or cause lag issues uh, during their competitive play. But also that uh, is Google really in it for the long haul, right? Will they actually own anything or have anything if Google decides to bail out of this type of uh, initiative? So all really, really good points. And I think um, kind of representative of the backlash uh, from, you know, the gaming community as a whole, you know, the core type of gamer. Um, so I, I do agree with all these concerns. I, I actually will add a few things on my end because I already came in here pretty pessimistic about what this thing was going to offer. But I, I will say that the presentation was quite good. I mean, I, I, I was actually really shocked at how well they put together that presentation and, and you know, brought the people on board. And 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 clearly, you know, for, for, for the one thing, having the CEO come and announce the product is a kind of a good sign as to their dedication to the project. That's good. I think it was a little bit ham-fisted in the sense that, you know, he comes out here and says, I'm not a gamer, but I hired a bunch of gamers, uh, which is interesting approach. But <laughs> nonetheless, it was, it, it was a good... Good to show their commitment. Um, second thing, I was really surprised that this guy didn't mention the content. Like there was absolutely no content out there. This is my biggest concern is that there are really no major publishers that are involved in this thing except for the Ubisoft. Um, you know, it's like, and so I think the pushback here would be like, well, if you're a GDC, you don't want to flaunt the fact that you're, you know, dealing with all these other developers because you want to attract developers but the reality of it is it's kind of chicken the egg thing like if you don't have the big developers then how are you going to convince the small developers to uh you know make make games for your console right or your platform um so anyway i think this is going to be continually the biggest challenge because i'm hearing really that the uh, big big guys are not really interested in, in this in this in this uh, uh platform um and we can get back to that in a minute um and then finally, you know, Jade Raymond coming up there and saying that, you know, they're building a first party. I mean, I think this is somewhat a cap of a capitulation in the sense that they know they're going to have to build, you know, their own um, compelling content uh, to make this service uh, work. Um, now, Jade is an interesting hire. I would have actually rather seen someone like a software service or a virtual world type person, you know, someone from Blizzard, like potentially, or maybe Rod Humble, who used to do EA, uh, was at EA and, and was at Second Life, like someone to create a compelling uh, game as a service uh, that would be unique to the platform. Jade, you know, is, is, a, is a really iconic figure in the space, but she really hasn't published a game since Splinter Cell in 2013, which frankly wasn't that much of a success either. So, so her focus is primarily on these, you know, big AAA you know, single player action games. I don't think that's going to sell the service because you can get that on on the console, frankly. But Jade Raymond is also a draw, right? So she she is a big name. So that's that's good for them to get her. But we, they, I think they actually need creative talent that can make something compelling for the for the console. So fundamentally, I'm going to just reiterate my thinking on this this whole thing is that this basically seems like a product without a market. Like that's the fundamental problem. The core guys are not going to be that interested uh, to make a move. And that was like voiced numerous times out there on the internet. Um, and I don't think casual audience are going to be really interested in this type of content on a, on a streaming service and, um, and, or don't have the connection speed um, to actually take advantage of it. Um, so the technology expense is expensive. The delivery is expensive and I, it solves a problem that I don't think that really exists in the market in which, you know, that, there needs to be better delivery of the service because I think video games, console video games are actually really well situated right now with the consoles because that's what, 
you know, the fundamental core market wants the 18 to 44 year old males. So again, listen to twig 17 and, and we do it a little bit more fully in terms of um, going through this, the uh, data points, but overall, I think this thing kind of fell flat and this thing coming out at the end of the year just seems a little bit concerning given where they are with the content. Um, so uh, what are your, what's your take, Jay? Okay. Uh, so for me, I think that you're, you're actually very right in terms of the backlash. And when you, the funny thing for me is when, when you look at trending articles for Stadia or just, you know, do a Google search for Google Stadia, all the most popular articles are the articles about concerns, what could go wrong, you know, uh, that sort of thing about Stadia. So that it does seem like the, the, the general public sentiment is, is kind of weighted negative on, on Stadia. But uh, having said that, you know, and having tried the, the, the product personally as well, I, I do think that, you know, the technology is super impressive and it does have, uh, it, it does have potential. And uh, I, I think that with the next, you know, um, transition to, with, with the next platform transition, that there are potential opportunities there for, for Stadia to, to have a, a bigger market, especially with, you know, big population of kids that have tablets and, and parents wanting uh, more of the uh, sort of platform titles for, for their kids. But you know, we'll, we'll see how that, that goes. In terms of the concerns, I, I, I do think that you're right, Eric. Uh, the number one concern is, is content. Uh, and it just doesn't seem like there's been much traction there. Just speaking to a lot of other developers in the marketplace, at least on the mobile free-to-play side, um, there's been, it seems like there's been a lot of reach out, but there may not necessarily have been a lot of major deals being made, or at least anecdotally, that, that's what I'm hearing. Also feel like the concern about the bandwidth, but more, more on the network latency side, right? In terms of like what types of super competitive games that require extremely fast Twitch times, what types of those types of games will they be able to support? And finally, the uh, for me anyway, the, the the major concern is around the economics and business model. I definitely have concerns around subscription, if it's subscription, which which I doubt. Um, but you know, uh, the I, I do think that at least in in the short to medium term, that I'm not sure if the economics actually work from a server cost perspective, but. You know, it's good to see that that Google and Microsoft are, are potentially going to be uh, funding the market, at least in the short term. Um, on, on the content side, I will say that uh, that concern is potentially a killer. But at the same time, when we look at, um, you know, the competitive alternatives in the space, that Microsoft seems to have the right strategy, but not necessarily the right execution in, in the sense that they're, they're going out and they're acquiring a lot of studios to tie up exclusive content. But it seems like they're not really paying big premiums for highly premium content and titles, un unlike, you know, Epic. And so, you know, not, not to be too dismissive about Microsoft strategy, but, you know, speaking honestly, it's not like they're, they're getting titles like Division 2, which, which Epic is, is getting exclusive for, you know, Epic Launcher. So it, it does seem like it's a lower tier of content. And so from a competitive perspective, Google, I, I do think is in trouble, but has time to, to make, make up for that. Yeah, I'll just make one more point here. So it's pretty obvious to me that they're going to do some kind of hybrid model of subscription and you know premium content paid right so the, for, for for this for google of course right so 
Um, it doesn't seem that the publishers are going to be on board with the idea of putting their new games in a subscription service. I think it seems clear to me anyway at this point. So in that sense, why I think Microsoft might win this on the long term or medium to long term is that if they can create content that's compelling for the subscription service, that'll drive people to the platform and also allow them to upsell to the premium stuff potentially, right? What the Google challenge is going to be is that Google is going to have a bunch of content that no one wants, right? So we've seen this in the marketplace. It's, it's, it's already happened, right? The subscription services that are out there, which we talked about a while ago um, in another twig, is that no one is subscribing to these services. You know, PlayStation Now, uh, EA Access, uh, even Microsoft Access, because the content is crap, right? It's like, you know, six months to a year old, or maybe in some cases, four or five years old, Everyone's playing the new, new thing, right? That's not compelling for the consumer. That's just not the way people consume this content. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I, and then the biggest com- concern I have, particularly, well, hold on one second, just let me finish. So with, with, e, with EA is that the business model, the unit economics don't work on this thing, right? So this is not an issue for Google or Microsoft for that matter, but for EA in particular, if you take a game that's like a 50 to 100 hour experience and you deliver it for $60, the 30% that the distribution fee will be does not cover the cost of hosting nor um, um, the, the bandwidth cost for delivering, right? And so the unit economics don't work, even at a $60 price point, right? And that may change over time as price as, as pricing goes down or pricing goes down for the hardware and stuff. But the reality is then the next generation consoles are going to come up, which are rumored to be even more powerful than the box that they're running on Google. So it's like this, it's ne- they're never going to catch up. And they're ne- and the, if the business model doesn't work now, it's likely not going to work for a long time. So anyway, that's kind of my last ta- thought on that. Mm. What do you think? So um, I, I just have a, anecdotally had a, some talks with with analysts regarding this. And, and they were kind of approaching this from the perspective of like, what do you think? The streaming is going to do to mobile games because now you can essentially play FIFA or NHL or Call of Duty or or Assassin's Creed on your mobile phone uh, just with this little control that you can carry anywhere with you. And, and you know, the argument was the accessibility. But at the same time, I actually asked these guys and, and, and you know, did they try it and and they had and and they did try it and they had tried it and and though it is accessible though the streaming services are incredibly accessible especially google google streaming service the problem is that the games are not uh the assassin's creed is almost impossible to play if you're a normal normal uh player not somebody who's been who's you know playing console games every day these are difficult games but made made by people who are who are making products not services so that also opens up the business model discussion because if all of the games are sort of a you know products and and the idea is that you play them a little bit and then you kind of forget then everybody's always playing the new ones and the old ones are not being played so that means that the developer is not really getting any money out of those because the revenue share probably goes uh, depending on on the engagement and so forth so um it, it definitely opens up a lot of question questions about the business model and the fact that google didn't mention the business model is um is you know somewhat worrisome, um, and um, but again, Google goes technology first always. Yeah, I, I I really think they thought they could just basically collect content and uh, charge a subscription, and you know publishers would just bow down to the power of Google. Yeah. And EA or nobody else will 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 not. I mean, none of the big boys will move oh. their products there. Right, and sorry, the other big concern which I didn't I forgot to write down was that. Um, so, so Google is based on a Linux-based system, right? And no one optimizes games for Linux, right? This was a big problem, I think, with the um, the Valve stuff back in the day. But 
fundamentally it requires development team development effort and engineering talent to actually build even the the catalog games which costs them money right and i think this could be kind of a, a rift between some of the big publishers is that google needs to pay up right um and and help them develop and bring their games to the console um on the flip side microsoft is using a, a windows based system or you know whatever 486 based system which will make it a much easier to bring over so anyway, actually, your just topic kind of leads us into the next one <laughs> because, um, you know, cloud-based gaming coming to your phone is kind of one of the, the touch points that we're talking about in this next article. Um, so the next article is top seven trends in mobile gaming from GDC 2019. And this is from CNET. And I know they're not, you know, the predominant, you know, tech blog here, but um, but these type of articles drive me insane, right? They are like so freaking lazy um and and they pull together these trends analysis based on the big market exceptions and not opposed to like you know the other 95% of the market so they're kind of talking about the trends with Fortnite, Pokemon Go, Roblox, etc. and even though these things are absolutely huge benchmarks in the in the, in, the, in the business right and huge change in the business they they still only represent a small percentage of the overall market right it doesn't fundamentally change you know, the, the lion's share of the market. So the first one is basically the th same thing that uh, Mishka was talking about was cloud-based gaming is coming to your phone. Look, just stop it, okay? There's no effing way that you're going to be playing Assassin's Creed on a mobile device, right? I mean, it is like, it's painful enough on on, the, on a console with the 55-inch plasma, right? But using a Bluetooth controller and playing on your phone, like no one's going to do that, right? Now, that's not to say that there's experiences that people will do on that that way, but the current content that exists out there, whether it's Call of Duty, Madden, FIFA, like it is a terrible experience on the mobile device, right? And sitting there with a controller, it makes no sense. Just stop. Just stop talking about this. This is not going to be a thing, right? Ubiquity around this is just, it's not interesting to me anyway. And I don't think to the consumer, the current consumer of console gaming is just not going to be interested in this. And to your point, uh, Mishka is that the casual people are not going to be attracted because they have access to this stuff, right? They're not going to be all of a sudden, oh, I'm going to play this Assassin's Creed game and get my ass handed <laughs> to me because because it's available on the mobile device. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Just stop, okay? Uh, the second one is smartphones will be a proxy for PC and console. Um, okay. <laughs> this is another one, right? You know, Fortnite created an amazing anecdotal example of success here but it's really an exception to the rule. Like there are very few games that have actually crossed over to mobile from PC and console, right? Besides, you know, mm -hmm. Hearthstone is one clearly, which is not a great experience on mobile that they're trying Roblox, to fix. Um, you know, Roblox and, 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 and Minecraft. Right. But other than that, no, right. I, it's not happening. Okay. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, competitive multiplayer mobile games will dominate. God, where have you been? You know, it's just a stupid comment, right? The competitive is, that's what makes games on mobile, right? Clash of Clans, strategy games, RPGs, whatever. This is nothing new. Lazy, lazy, right? Mobile game popularity will be driven by the pack. What does that mean? Oh, um, oh, this is another, yeah, kind of no-duh comment, right? We know we're seeing the impact firsthand of, of influencers, people on Twitch and YouTube that are driving Apex and other things, right? You know, of course, it's going to be driven by pack mentality. That's just the kind of way this business works, right? The next point, number five, is basically the gender cap is in the game industry re is reducing slightly. Now, I think this is this is definitely true. Like, I think 
games like Minecraft, Roblox, and even Fortnite have actually brought a much bigger percentage of people, um, of women in particular, into the game space, uh, younger demographic, of course, as well, which is actually really, really good for the game industry as a whole. So that's a good one. I like that one. Um, and then the next one is more game developers will hold live events for players. Really? <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. This one is just insane, right? Okay, so Fortnite puts out like, oh my God, I'm going to forget his name. Uh, Marshmallow, Marshmallow yeah. on, on a concert. And my son and all his friends are there day one. Tens of millions of people are watching this. Phenomenal, right? I think that's a, a great thing, right? But that means it's going to transfer to other games. You know, Call of Duty is going to have an event in which they have like, I don't know. I mean, it makes no sense. This is... This is another lazy thing of like something that happens, a one-off that is going to be a trend. That just doesn't work that way. And then the final one is AR will be the dominant immersive reality in five years. Um, you know, I, I question this definition, first of all. Uh, I talk to a lot of people who say, particularly in the AR space, that Pokemon Go isn't AR, right? That's not the way AR has been envisioned by HoloLens or Magic Leap, for instance. You know, it's kind of being a used as a, as a poster child of AR, but at the end of the day, is it really augmented reality? You know, it, is that really competing against something like, uh, you know, Oculus or Vibe? You know, not really. You know, so, you know, and, and then if you actually look at Pokemon Go, which has been an amazing success, right? And, and this type of game, right? It, it did like, I think, $1.7 billion, according to um, Sensor Tower, right? The next two biggest games are Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, excuse me, and Walking Dead. They've done like 32 million and 14 million. You know, I don't even think that's going to cover their costs, frankly. Um, and now we're seeing um, this new game from uh, Warner Brothers, uh, which we're going to talk about later. And we'll see how that does. So, anyway, I, fundamentally, I think this is a definition problem. I don't consider these games real AR, right? They're not competing against VR as a, in a quote unquote immersive reality, right? You know, the real immersive technologies are going to be VA or AR for as HoloLens envisions, as Magic Leap envisions. And it's going to be super, super niche for the next five years. That is not going to be a trend in, in, in the next five years. It's going to be a much, much longer um, buildup for these type of technologies, in my opinion. All right. What's your, what's your guys' thoughts, Jay? Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, instead of going over every single one of those, maybe, maybe I could just hit on a few. So maybe starting with one where, I may have a little bit of a different perspective from you on in terms of like the, uh, you know, mobile phones as, as co PCs or consoles. Um, so while I, I definitely agree with you that, you know, the, the mobile phone itself as a replacement for console doesn't make sense. But I, I do think that, um, that a lot of kids with tablets and, and the controller, like some of the console games actually do play okay. And so I actually do feel that there is a bit of a danger, at least with the next platform transition, that a lot of parents are just going to opt to go because they've already got, you know, tablets for their kids. And if, if something like a Stadia works, that they may go for, you know, that, that may become a sizable market in, in terms of access for, um, for, for console games through, through tablets and a Stadia or xCloud or something like that. Um, I also feel that, you know, you're absolutely right with respect to like competitive multiplayer games. That That's where the market is now. I think the more interesting part is that, you know, historically, uh, you know, uh, shooters and FPS have been the number one category in the West and Asian markets. Um, it has been RPG, although we've seen, you know, some other games like, you know, uh, QQ Speed and Arena Valor becoming more prominent. But um, I, I do think that... Um, 
there is a there there is more of a danger. I, I would say more in the in, in the Asian and in uh, sort of you know Japanese market where it may be a bigger barrier to get more you know uh, more market share in terms of um, becoming more focused on competitive multiplayer games. Uh, the female focused stuff, I, I think, is is right as 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 you noted, and and I think we're already seeing this, especially with developers like Glue, where because they've got you know, female focused products that they are intentionally hiring more women who basically understand their product and, and audience much better. And uh, so there's that. And um, let's see. Yeah, I, I will say that I, I think that the, the notion that they had about um, about the, the pack, uh, what was that? They were saying that mobile game popularity will be driven by the pack. I, I, I think they were more focused on like word of mouth but I think your point that it's it's really not so much about the the word of mouth by by the kids, but it's actually more about the influencers because we are seeing that uh, there are now influencers who have massive scale, and that it does seem that a lot of kids in particular have, you know, are, are extremely influenced by these influencers, and and so I, I think the notion is more around um, influencers rather rather than specific you know, uh, word of mouth activities by, by, by kids. Yeah. I mean, Mishka? I agree with Eric. This is a, this is a silly list from, from, uh, I don't know from who it, but when we talk about mobile, I mean, the real, the real predictions there, there are a few of them and, and then they're, they're pretty clear. So number one, what I would put in into prediction would be the marketability and how that is changing and how potentially some of the ad networks are entering the, uh, the, you know, in, in different kind of agreements together with game developers and leveraging that marketability and, 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 um, and really the competition on in some categories is shifting away from the product side to the marketability side. And probably the best example here is, is the puzzle category and especially the matching to mansion case where the game comes out that is pretty much similar than the existing category leader. And still that, that type of game is able to beat the other game uh, purely um, not purely, but largely due to um, far better marketability. And then we can see this this type of thing happening in idlers. We can see this especially ha- happening in hypercasual as well, where a good creative can either make or break a game. So that's a big thing. Uh, then overall, talking about hypercasuals, that was the huge growth of 2018. Yet towards the end of the year, those those hypercasual games were declining. And, and I would say one of the... Uh, or downloads for hyper casual games were declining, and I would say one of the uh, one of the predictions there is that you know the the market was very easy to enter. Uh, it was really easy to make those games, and and now it's quickly maturing. It's matured already, and it's only left for the big boys of the of the App Lovin or Alliance Studios and Woodoo and and Miniclip and so forth. So uh, that that party is kind of ending, and it's shifting more and more towards more of the arcade games, where these type of hyper casual easy access games are getting some in app purchase. Uh, possibilities in them to to raise the LTV. Uh, we can see clearly that when we look at the categories such as customization games, so with with the choices and episodes, as well as simulation games like Roblox and Minecraft, we're we're clearly seeing that that some of the top players like like Zynga and and, and others are are gunning with new simulation games to this sort of a a little bit of a forgotten genre, and and there's there's probably going to be some growth this year. Uh, when we talk about AR, we shouldn't, I mean, we shouldn't talk about AR at all. We should talk about location-based games. And when it comes to location-based games, we know that we're going to cover in this article, we're going to cover the uh, the upcoming uh, Wizards Unite 
from Warner Brothers and, and Niantic, a joint project. So we're seeing growth in the location-based games. Uh, when we look at the RPG games, something that this this article didn't didn't uh, mention at all, we can see that RPG games are huge in in the East, uh, in Japan and in China especially. So we're we're seeing that these games are generating billions in China, billions in, in in Asia. And what we have seen throughout the history is a lot of these games, a lot of the elements from these games are coming to the uh, the Western market by three, you know, two to four years delay. So that means that RPG, if if the delay continues like it has till now, uh, that means that the RPG genre will be actually growing significantly in terms of revenue. In, in the coming years with all these, you know, more and more interesting mechanics, more and more deeper gameplay, more evolution of the gacha and, and events will, will be coming in and, and we'll be seeing that category growing. It doesn't mention anything about card battlers, even though the the Magic the Gathering is is introducing its its new game. It doesn't talk about the, the evolution of social casino with with um with with the um what do you call that game? The um coin master. Coin master would be doing significantly better and and, and pirate um, I forgot the, uh, the the other one, and and even this article didn't talk about battle royales at all. And then we've been seeing battle royale kind of growing all the time, and possibly Apex Legends coming in to mobile, and and what what would that mean? And as well as as, as well as you know other type of battle royale games, because what we've seen for now is is the genre is not that stable. Fortnite is still giant, but. But with Apex Legends coming in and how Fortnite came out of nowhere, it's 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 clearly a genre where where big disruption can happen, uh, and we, we're seeing now sort of these other type of synchronous battlers like Brawl Stars, um, seeing a lot of success as of late, and especially success in Asia, and how that affects um, affects the future. So I don't know, kind of as a person who follows deeply mobile games, it it seems weird to see these sort of a uh, very high level predictions or trends that that really don't make any i mean there's no there's no beef to the bone so or meat around the bone or however you would say that's a finish saying but you know <laughs> yeah i don't want to talk too much about that i would rather talk about team sweeney announcing 100 million epic mega grants fund for game developers let's do it all right yeah so uh just to give people a, a quick summary of the article so Epic recently wrapped up giving away uh, $5 million to developers over the past two years, and now they've created a $100 million, what they're calling mega grants fund. And individual grants will range between 5K and 500K. The biggest difference here, though, is that they are saying that there are no strings attached to obtaining a a mega grant. And it it was a little bit confusing because initially they were saying that there's, it doesn't seem like there's any tie back to Epic or Unreal Engine, but just reading through more of the fine print, it does seem that you have to be using Unreal Engine or transitioning to uh, an Unreal Engine. Um, also, the grant uh, doesn't have to be uh, a game, it, so it could also be an enterprise or educational uh, app, for example. And so this article, to me, underscores a theory I heard at GDC. And since I'm the, the, the rumor guy, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about this rumor. <laughs> there, there were actually a bunch of rumors during GDC. Wish I could talk about some of those, but I'll talk about this one. And, and this, this is more like, I, I wouldn't say rumor. It's more like theory and speculation, which is that, um, you know, so Epic was on this very long road, in fact, over over six years in development with Fortnite, where at least 
you know, from some of the, the folks that I've talked to, it, it seemed like there was a lot of the organization, I could be wrong about this, but, you know, the, the rumor is that a lot of the organization thought for a long time that the game uh, was or was headed toward being a major flop and that there was actually, what would kind of turn things around was actually a contract issue and a misstep from PUBG that led to Epic getting the single largest royalty check in its history from PUBG which then put Fortnite on the fast track to copy Battle Royale from PUBG. And the rest is history, except that the theory here is that the execs at Epic realized that kind of the, the events that led up to, to their big success um, was more of a once-in-a-lifetime happy accident, which isn't likely to ever repeat. So what is the implication of this theory? The implication then is that Epic, which now has tons of money, is realizing that they're unlikely to repeat this sort of once-in-a-lifetime game event. And, and so they are now focusing on actually building out platforms and focusing on revenue streams that are not necessarily game-focused, but are platform-focused instead. Hence, the, the mega grant fund focusing on revenue through Unreal Engine and all the efforts in their Epic Launcher in the store. Um, so that was the, the, the sort of rumor and speculation. Uh, again, take, take, it, take it for what it is. Um, but, you know, it does seem to corroborate what's been happening with, uh, you know, this fund and sort of the super aggressive content ex exclusives they've been pursuing. And I, I won't talk about the specific rumors or numbers, but they, they seem pr pretty far out there. <laughs> Yeah, yes. I, I, I've been hearing all kinds of just crazy numbers about what they're doing to get these exclusives. And in some ways, I think this is pretty smart, right? Because true, you know, Fortnite is going to be huge for a while, but like ultimately they need to build other things. Um, and I think, you know, their struggles over the last 10 years, you know, where they've been primarily a technology company as opposed to a game developer, um, you know, this newfound wealth, I mean, they should be proactive in what they're doing, you know. I may suggest or recommend that they focus a little bit more on certain things. I mean, they, you know, need to keep the eye on the prize. Like I think building the platform is really smart. Um, I will say that the 5 million in funding kind of helps, but you can't, I don't even know if you can get a mobile game to market for that much, but, um, but I mean, it did, you know, it does provide them with the ability to go out and talk to developers and such. Um, I would say building the platform is probably a priority. Um, and hopefully that, you know, that this fund will help secure them some content, you know, maybe exclusive or whatever. And I don't think these huge checks are going to last long. I think this is just the initiation, you know, for these big games like Division and, and Metro and, you know, um, probably the other things from Ubisoft down the line. So, yeah, I mean, I, good for them. Like, let, let yeah. you know, build it, you know, and do, do, what, you, do what you can do, you know. It's it's like it's like nouveau riche, you know, like just spend, spend, yeah, spend. Yeah, I think this is interesting fun. to see because there's like so many different ways to the top, and an Epic's way is definitely different than let's say uh, Supercell approach, which is you know taking things relatively slowly. And like if you guys remember the launch of Clash Royale, how everybody played it and it was like the best game ever to come out on mobile and it took what a year year and a half before they had esports and you know it's kind of very slowly methodically adding things kind of thinking about it keeping keeping your size small and then we have this totally different approach which is like <laughs> I don't know. it's like it's like supercell and cocaine it's like you're going crazy and you're just you're just believing everything that you're doing and you're doing so many starts and and your your self-confidence through the roof and 
And I think it's just really fun to watch. But there's definitely a lot more risk with this type of approach. You can go too fast. You can burn out. Um, you're growing your organization at this speed, at, at what, what they are growing. Um, you know, where, where just the organization just can't even keep keep uh, keep along with, with with its growth. So how are the decision being done? How how is everything being scaled? And and like I, I just, you know, I've never experienced such a hyper growth. I remember working at Rovio um, back back in the days when, when the company was growing very significantly with all the new games being launched. And even then, like we would have 20 people joining every week and it was chaos. It was, you know, after a while, which is chaos. People would come in through the doors, like open door policy. And that's nothing compared to what, what Epic is going through. They're ultra aggressive on every single front. And <laughs> they're, you know, it's, it's just, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, they're going to double the size of North Carolina soon. So I, I don't know. So yeah, interesting. Um, but let's move on to to something uh, something next, okay. which is the Apple unveiling the uh, the premium game subscription service called Apple Arcade, uh, which is launching in autumn of 2019. So pretty soon. Uh, the article reveals that Apple, I mean, Apple has unveiled a new premium game subscription called Apple Arcade for the App Store during the special event about its array of new services business. The tech giant called the first game subscription service for mobile, desktop, and living room. So Mac uh, OS, uh, we got Apple TV, and we got iOS. And over 100 new and exclusive games are set to be included with more to come in future. Apple Arcade will launch in autumn 2019 with over in over 150 countries and regions. No pricing details have been presented as of yet, but the service will not contain any advertisements or additional purchases. So no in-app purchases, no ad revenue. It will also announce that users' family can access the library of games at no extra, co- ch- ch- extra um, charge. So basically... One account per family. Um, during release event, release event, App Store senior product manager Ann Thai admitted that while free-to-play games had been successful, premium games hadn't been as successful and aren't as easy to find. The App Store, uh, I'm quoting her, the App Store is the world's biggest and most successful game platform. Now we're going to take games even further with Apple Arcade, the first game subscription service for mobile, desktop, and living room. Uh, said as Apple Senior Vice President of Worldwide Marketing, Phil Schiller. Um, he, he continued talking about, we're working with some of the most innovative game developers in the world to create over 100 new and exclusive games to play across iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV. Apple Arcade games will be great for families, respect user privacy, and will have no, will not have ads or require any additional purchases. We think player of all ages are going to love Apple Arcade. All right, so that's the article, and and here's my take. Well, Apple has never been too enthusiastic about games ever since Jobs was running running the company, and they have definitely taken their stance against the free to play games. Uh, if you look at App Store, they constantly feature, uh, especially the new redesigned App Store, they constantly feature feature um, game makers and especially indie games, uh, and this is despite that games are generating the largest category share of the app store. And I have to say that, that Apple still likes the, uh, the small developers. And I don't know why that is. So, you know, a small game developer, 
um, it, it almost feels like it's a it's an element of, of control in a way um, that, that they're able to boss around the, the small developers a little bit more easier. But I don't know. Uh, anyways, ongoing changes to the App Store suggest the more curation have always highlighted the quality and value of paid games. And the announcement of this Apple Arcade is the continuation of this sort of a decade-old attitude. Uh, but the fact is that most of the players are pretty happy with the games as they are right now. And it, it feels like it's it's sort of a, Apple's own approach that they want to have more paid games. So they're pushing paid games instead of sort of delivering what the consumers want, uh, which again is quite difficult for, for Apple. And they have been extremely innovative by not listening to consumers and, and kind of doing their own thing. So, so when you look at this whole package, we're talking about over 100 exclusive titles. Exclusive meaning that the developer automatically loses half of the revenue because now they can't launch on Google Play. And they also haven't told on how long this exclusivity will, will remain. Um, the second part is pricing. They didn't talk about any pricing. So typically when we talk about subscription services, especially with games or music, we're talking about between $10 to $20 a month and usually about $100 a year. Um, and they also didn't mention the business model for them uh, or for the developers. So, so normally the way this works, especially with the paid games, especially the way that they've introduced, so you can't make any any additional revenue once you submit the game to the uh, Apple Arcade. Uh, that normally goes in a way that you pay for the content, just like you know Netflix. And the idea here is to get more and more subscribers and retain those and that's that's basically your business case but the challenge is is kind of understanding like who is the apple arcade for and will there be enough subscribers and with with and what i mean by that is like the idea is nice so you buy this apple arcade and basically you'll have curated games for your family and and they're you know they're for real free to play after you've paid for them and then you can you know family friendly you can play them on your phone you can play it on your tv you can play it on desktop and so forth but there are also all these other subscription services coming out and and will will you know will the will they have enough players for those because again we've seen that the kids who this also seems to be very directly catered for we've seen kids really you know they're playing Fortnite, they're playing Minecraft, they're playing Roblox, they're playing really hardcore games that are even hard for me too. Like they're they're even, you know, I'm having trouble playing those games, and they and they are, they're you know they're very capable of, of playing much more deeper games than than maybe Apple understands. And the other part with that is like paid games means that they're products, and product has a very very much shorter lifetime than a, than a service. So this leads to a challenge where Apple has to constantly be signing new and new games and they'll be spending on, on, you know, paying developers to develop games for this platform and the, and so forth. So I don't know. I don't know. It seems like a, it's, I, I just, it's hard for me to understand who, who is this for, but at the same time, I, I do feel that this is a, this is pretty interesting because it opens up the door for all those amazing games um, that are having trouble uh, in in the current app store because just they just can't afford marketing because they're paid. And in the in the trailer, they for example featured Oceanhorn Two, which is um, you know the, the sequel to to the original version, but just amazing looking game, almost like not almost pretty much like Zelda, and um, 
if you can have those type of games through the Apple Arcade service and, and if, if there's more subscribers, that means we'll get more variety of, of games. And that's always good. That's always excellent for mobile. So despite I'm not too positive about it, I'll definitely be a subscriber. All right. My quick take on this. <clears throat> I think I've had too much coffee because I'm about ready to explode. Um, first of all, no one cares about premium games. Full stop. I apologize to anybody who's making premium games out there, right? Except for some of the old folks, that, older folks at Pocket Gamer whose coverage when I was a Kabam was so focused on premium games, it was almost laughable, right? Yeah, you know, as Supercell is crushing it, Machine Zone, all they're talking about is this nonsensical, like, indie type dollar, $2 games, right? Um, but since then, I have to admit, they've really stepped up and now they're focused on free-to-play is excellent. I subscribe to their um, content. Anyway, um, fundamentally, premium games kind of represent 2 to 3% of the market maybe in the West and a fraction of that if you include worldwide. So let's say they grow revenue by 40 to 50%. Hell, even double it. It's still really too small to matter, in my opinion. Um, one of the best premium games ever was Super Mario Run and their conversion rate was like 2%. So you know, maybe 3%, depending on how you look at it. But um, at the end of the day, it's like, it's just, it, it can't gain that much traction. I mean, this, the kind of the, the, the consumers have spoken, right? They're not willing to spend on these games in the West, right? You know, on the premium game. So it's, I don't think this really changes that equation per se. And the biggest thing that really annoys me about this whole thing, um, and that is potentially devastating for some of these indies, is that when you throw things in a subscription, 100 games, for a hundred dollars, right? That completely devalues the content that you're creating, right? I- Iwata at a at a press conference at E3, like I don't know, five or six, eight years ago, I can't remember exactly. He said it's like a race to zero. You know, you're basically offering your content and you're devaluing your content by selling it at such a low price, right? And I think that's just not good for the industry as a whole. And you know, while I think people are a lot of people are talking about these subscription mm-hmm. services as like the holy grail. I think there's a chance that they all really devalue the content in which these content creators are creating. So that's kind of my take. Um, I do not think this will be successful. I think it'll be very, very small and niche. And I think they need to focus more on um, getting that store back on track to actually deliver a better experience for the consumer. Thank you. JK. Cool. Um, my take on this is is one. I 100% agree with Mishka. Yeah. Uh, can you hear, can you hear me? So, uh, so Mishka, your your take in terms of App, Apple's historical support of premium games, unlike Google, and and it's also funny, Eric, your comment about some of the old pocket gamer guys who had a focus on premium because at least the you know the the rumors are that a lot of the App Store feature people have actually come from the game magazine space which is why we see uh, a lot of tendencies from Apple, such as focus on premium, retro, and with the latest App Store update, we've seen a ton of editorial content as as far as App Store is concerned. So um, I agree with you guys that I I, I don't think this is going to be a major market. I think that, you know, in my personal experience, parents want to pay for educational apps or games, but not necessarily games. And um, also that uh, the games that parents want to pay for are, are ones that they've they've heard of or that their kids are clamoring for, right? And so there's only a handful of those types of games like Fortnite or Minecraft. But I, I don't I don't think kids are going to be like 
you know, uh, to your point, Mishka, uh, asking for uh, Oceanhorn or, or, or any of these other titles, which aren't going to be like major marquee titles that that are, you know, where, where there's only a handful. And so, you know, I know I've mentioned before on previous podcasts that the Roger McNamee quote about content, which which is essentially that between the content and the audience, everything in between is a choice. And so longer term, I do think that Apple Arcade will live or die based upon just that simple concept, right? Will they be able to get their Game of Thrones for 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 games, the, the, the next Minecraft or Fortnite or something else that's not available anywhere else. Um, and, and, you know, just generally speaking, I, I think that while there are some parents that do care about their kids playing free-to-play games or watching ads, that the gap between free and one cent is, is still pretty massive. And so I, I, I too am, am very skeptical in terms of how big this this market can get. Yeah, and, I think this is almost like a life life jacket to the um, to the indie developers because they're you know uh, they they don't have any way of of growing their games and, and yeah. the platform has matured so significantly. So I think they're they're kind of offering them a way out because essentially Apple will pay for your development most likely. I don't know, um, but this is how how normally it works with with Netflix and others. So. Um, so, yeah, essentially. Yeah. I mean, again, we mentioned this before. On, oh, sorry, we mentioned this before on a previous podcast. But I'm just going to just throw this out there again. Like, my understanding is that you know there was no incentive at all for uh, Apple to be profitable on the on the App Store. That was just not their focus for the last like decade as they're trying to build, uh, you know, build their their mobile game. Sorry, their phone business, right? So their whole focus is selling hardware, right? So what they wanted to do was promote games that push the hardware to death right and so mm-hmm. that and that's what their focus was and that's why these single player games like you know chair stuff and all these other games um were were so supported by the app store right and so i mean that has been their focus what what's interesting is that now that their focus is starting to be on services we'll see how how the the experience evolves on the store and maybe they promote more of the games that actually make money that people are playing you know as opposed to these indie games that you know very few people are interested in. So, but now they're doing the subscription service, which kind of doesn't make any sense. But, um, but I don't know. Nonetheless, it does offer the consumer a, a cheaper way of getting access to the content yeah, that help yeah. drive but, hardware. But even even the organization for this has to be massive because they have to be scouting all over the place for these indie games because you constantly have to have new yeah, ones right. because you know it takes you about a day or two to play through one indie game, so you have hundred of them. Maybe that's. That's a half a year worth of content if you play everything, but you most likely won't. And there's no updates coming to these ones or so. I mean, I don't know, but I just assume that these are the type of games that, that don't have any live services. So it's it's um, it's um a very, very interesting case. Um, but no, I don't think this is interesting for any significant game publisher out there. So, um so yeah, so moving on to the next one and the final article of the day, which is the uh, the first look at Harry Potter's Wizards Unite. Um, the next game from the makers of Pokemon Go is the title, but uh, we're going to dive deeper into that. So I'm going to read um, some stuff from the article and it starts off with there's magic all around you and you have. Uh, and you have joined your fellow wizards in a global quest to make sure that it stays hidden from unsuspecting muggle eyes. That's the premise of Harry Potter's Wizards Unite, the upcoming mobile game from Warner Brothers and Niantic, the makers of Pokemon Go. 
So the Wizards of Unite doubles down on the idea that by introducing a new storyline to the Potterverse that puts a secrecy of the wizarding world at risk due to something called Calamity, a mysterious event that resulted in the magical artifacts Fantastic Beasts, Enchanted Inns, and dangerous creatures appearing all over the world. Responding to the Calamity, the Ministry of Magic and the Magical Congress call on the Wizards of the World to help save the wizarding world. Wizards who head to the call can participate in the game much in the same way players take part in Pokemon Go, by walking around and discovering magic places on map view of their neighborhood. Only in Wizards Unite, those places are Pokestops, are, are not Pokestops and gyms, but inns, greenhouses, fortresses, and magical traces that unlock encounters with creatures ranging from werewolves to death eaters. So I was looking at the other uh, videos of the gameplay, and, and the fighting is basically... Uh, um, I mean, that's the that's the one key change is the fighting is different. So you kind of align the camera with with the object there, and then you gesture, draw to attack and block. I don't know if this is a must have because a lot of players who play Pokemon Go actually turn off the AR component. I don't know if you have to use it here, uh, which is which you know based on this fighting fighting sequence would be forced. Uh, and the challenge here is that, um, you know. Wait a minute. Hmm. Yeah, so I kind of I kind of saw some some challenges here that um, that that actually four different challenges. Sorry. So based on the early articles, Wizards Unite Neandic game. Uh, based on the early articles, Wizards Unite has has four different challenges. Number one is that it's not a simple game, and the thing is, when when I was reading through it, um, they they have added a lot a lot more. Uh, game elements making uh, the game deep, rich, and deep and rich for casual players. So that you know, potentially this game can be confusing, and and confusing in the sense that when we talk about location based location based games, usually the location drives retention because when you're at different locations, you want to open up your phone because there might be something here, or you're going to a specific location and then you're going to open up your your phone and check it out. But in this case, there's so many systems at work simultaneously. Uh, I don't know if, if that will confuse the players from, from what is the reason to play this game or not. That could be one. Uh, number two is definitely the fact that there's no clear aspiration. So with clear with Pokemon Go, you could understand instantly that, that the point of the game. You basically go around, you find new creatures, you capture them, and everything else is auxiliary. You know, to battle the gyms, you catch legendaries, grow on the roster. That's more for the advanced players. But when you take the game, you 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 know, it's clear what you need to do. But beyond exploring the map and collecting the artifacts and visiting the inns to eat food, the players on Wizard Unite will have advanced activities to keep them busy like uh picking up a subclass or a profession as they call it in this game learning abilities then teaming up with up to five players to com- to compete in a fortress uh which is kind of a, like their version of gym battle and you know it's it may, may it may alienate a little bit those players who who just want to you know dabble with the ar feature and kind of walk around and 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 you know collect whatever ghosts or things they they do in that game uh, by by introducing this class system and skill trees and and more complicated sort of turn based combat systems um, where you have to draw these different spells on 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 your phone screens. Um, yeah, it's it's that's that's definitely a, a challenge, and, and I, I'm not sure for what kind of audience this this game is. 
but definitely they've they've keep on adding those meta games just to probably you know increase the retention and and lifetime value LTV through that. Um, and and finally, it's it's kind of hard to explain the gameplay um, so that it it could hook uh, a young kid or adult right away. Uh, and if you're not a Harry Potter super fan, and anybody who's listening to this right now understands that I don't know anything about Harry Potter or Harry Potter verse or anything about that. So so for me, you know, Pokemon is is more understandable, even though I'm not a fan of that. But this this sounds sounds weird, and 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 this the you know the sec the third thing is there's kind of like this this whole premise uh again for me it's all of the premises of harry potter seems weird but but when i was kind of reading through the comments and everything it, it it definitely felt that the premise is unclear um you know the adoption curve is 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 more steep because of these added mechanics but then but then you have um you know you're collecting these artifacts that are called foundables in the game and you're dispelling them with the confoundable magic threatening to reveal the world and so forth. So I don't know how how clear this premise is for the players uh, who are not that versed in in the uh, in the Harry Potter world. Maybe they're not the target audience, and I'm also not clear not clear of how how this premise will will suit even the more hardcore fans of of the game. And and final part is is you know there's no avatar in the game, and, and that's kind of a you know that's usually an, an element that that people want to have and they kind of want to show off what kind of wizard they are like that would at least draw me into the game of trying it but but again um that doesn't exist and as as we mentioned before the word on the street is that that wizards unite is is actually mostly developed by uh warner brothers san francisco studio and they're leveraging niantic's tech uh so it's that kind of a, a joint venture and um you know even they always want to market that this is the next game from Niantic and it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. And um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's definitely, you know, developing a game alone is, is tough, but here you have two different studios and an IP holder. So that's a, uh, that sounds like a, that sounds like a big challenge to me, to be honest. Uh, luckily, you know, both Warner brothers, San Francisco and, and Niantic are in San Francisco. So that helps the communication, but still, there's the IP and there's there's the um, an abundance of communication that has to be taking um, place in this kind of a complicated project. So overall, if I would have to make any kind of early prediction, which would be just foolish at this this early, I would I would say that this game for sure is going to be successful, and and for sure it's going to you know find its audience because the audience is so so big and it's going to get all the featuring it's going to get people wild walking around and and searching for the foundables and and whatever whatever they search in this game but at the same time i don't think this is the next pokemon go uh everything i read about it and then i read through the a lot of the comments it, it just doesn't seem that there's the same kind of a hype um for this game and and again it goes back to this this premise it goes back to the uh lack of clear aspiration and potentially being too complex but most importantly because it's not new we've seen this before uh the players have played pokemon go and assuming this you know a lot of the player base is the same as with pokemon go is like why would they switch and what does this bring new and it's kind of the case where where you see a lot of games coming in to compete against clash royale games coming to compete against brawl stars hearthstone you name it all these top games they're never able to to really compete even though they would have better ip or a different ip or a more complex meta game or so forth they always fall flat because what they're offering is same you know it's not same and different it's kind of same same 
Um, so that's that's the the biggest issue. And and everything that I read about this game or all the, the videos that I saw, I wasn't flabbergasted. I was like, oh my God, this game is amazing. Like the AR experience is like I really feel like I walk through the door to this wizard world. It's no, it's 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 like Pokemon Go. It's it's you know, it's just more more to it and it has Harry Potter IP and that's it. So I can't say that this game would be the next Pokemon Go. It's gonna be successful. But it's, you know, it's not going to dethrone the king. So what do you think, Eric? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we talked earlier about the scale of Jurassic Park versus, um, you know, Jurassic Park and, 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 and Walking Dead. Sorry, I'm blanking on the other IP. <laughs> Walking Dead, you know, the scale of those games versus something like, you know, Pokemon Go. So it's just a completely, you know, my, it's mice nuts, right? Relative to what Pokemon Go has done. Um I actually probably think that this game will do better than those two games. I think that's pretty a safe assumption to make, um, given the, the the IP, the brand, the the mass more mass market appeal to this these type of uh, uh, IP. Um, I do understand that it is Warner developing this game out of San Francisco, and they are just licensing Niantic Tech, despite the fact that a lot of the press releases are really not very clear on that point. Um, so anyway, I think it has potential, but. I don't know. I'm not just sure there's how much room there is in this genre. And I will I will reiterate my objection to calling this a real AR experience, but but if this is all we got, this is all we got. So this is our mm-hmm. AR for now. Okay. That's it. Cool. My my take is that the high concept or, or macro of this it is super strong. And so if you're talking about like the best IP to make a game like this, it's definitely Pokemon is number one and Harry Potter is number two. And in general, I, I personally have been pretty skeptical of this market space. Not not necessarily for Pokemon because I you know I, I totally get that there's huge collection motivation, inherent desire for social interaction amongst Pokemon players. But you know I, I was you know quite frankly very skeptical of you know the game you mentioned Jurassic World Alive, even though you know the company I work for worked on it and um, you know it actually turned out way better than than, than my modest expectations for the game, but. In general, I, I do think it's a very hard space and very, you know, very hard to fit, um, you know, IP to that unless it really makes sense. And and so I, I think that that'll be one thing to watch is, is how they've actually, you know, fit the location-based stuff into Harry Potter. Sounds like they're going pretty deep on the system side and stuff like that, but we'll see. But um at, at least conceptually, uh, you know, uh, these these are the two IPs that should do the best. You know, I, I think Pokemon is number one, and, and Harry Potter should be number two. So, I also feel like there will be success for this this game. It's it's gonna really be all about the the the, the micro or the execution part. But um, given there's been a huge pent up demand for a Harry Potter game. You know, given that, you know, when I was at Universal Studios in the Harry Potter world, you know, it, I was I was almost crushed by all the people there. I mean, there, there's definitely massive super fans out there. You know, I would suspect this game hits, uh, you know, a, as you noted, Eric, probably number two in its market space and uh, likely number one during at least during the yeah, launch. I, I, like if we're honest with ourselves or I'm honest with myself is that I knew about Apex Legends like months before it released, like and. And I dismissed it out of hand as something like, oh, God, we don't need another one of these type thing. And so I was dead wrong about that. So these games, they're, they're hard to predict in, in, in some sense, these particular type of games that you know are fast follows that maybe improve mechanics or make it more compelling. 
And Apex was just that. It was an amazing game that filled a niche between PUBG and Fortnite. And maybe this is this attracts the customers that kind of tired of the Pokemon Go thing and they want to try something new and they all flock towards it because Pokemon Go is still making insane amounts of money and 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 no one is actually competing with it really. So yeah, yeah who knows? I, I, I hope we're we wrong. wrong. I hope this is a huge success. And um, yeah, it's, it's always always better that way. But yeah, definitely definitely mixed uh, early reviews that that I've been seeing. So so um, we'll we'll be looking for this game when it whenever it comes out. But it seems to be a little bit late already. I think they were talking about 2018 originally. Cool, cool. All right, that's that's the episode. One hour in. Um, any any last it, words, guys? Uh, yeah. Let's let's end with a with a question out to our audience. No. Please send so, us your okay, craziest so send them to GDC JK rumors, only. and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll uh, talk to him directly. DM him. Do not send me or Eric any kind of crazy uh, GDC rumors. We don't want to hear those. Uh, we got plenty of. We we only operate with facts. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. On that note, yes. All right, everyone, have a, have a good week. week. Bye. All right. Bye.